Hello everyone, this is George Mapp with the Carolina Tar Wheels. Today my guest is Ken Kay. Ken is a uh, Tar Wheel member and a former member of Durham Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission. Uh, he's, he's a frequent bike commuter about, what, eight, ten miles uh, a day? Yeah, yeah, each way. He's a certified league cycling instructor through the League of American Bicyclists, and he does uh, bike safety workshops in the local area. In the past 10 years or so, along with several friends, Ken has organized several week-long tours of rural areas of uh, North Carolina. These uh, came to be known as the courthouse tours. One of the many subjects that Ken is passionate about is biking with his wife and kids. Let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up and how did you get started in cycling? Well, I forget sometimes that, you know, I'm down in North Carolina 25 years now, but I am born and raised in Bayside, Queens in New York City. So I grew up in a very dense environment with, you know, stop signs or traffic lights on every block and the need to be very aware of traffic and the need to be assertive in traffic, you know. Uh, I rode like most kids did in the, at that time in the 70s, uh, you know, without helmets a lot of the time. And, uh, I was able to walk to school all the way through high school, and I started riding my bike more around the neighborhood uh, to and from high school uh, or to wherever I needed to be. I even rode my bike to the beach down by the Rockaways. Uh, that was about 15 miles each way while I was in high school with my friends. Tell us about some of the touring, the bike touring trips you've done. Uh, this uh, courthouse tour uh, thing was uh, interesting to me. Yes, absolutely. Um, I got the touring bug uh, when I was still a teenager. When I was 16, my parents said, well, you're too old to go to camp, so we need to think of something for you to do. And, and much to their credit, they came up with the American Youth Hostels in the 70s was a forerunner of bicycle touring. So... Um, when I was 16, I met with a small group of 10 kids from the area with one leader who was the elderly age of 21. He was a college student. Uh, and we took off from the George Washington Bridge in New York, bound for Montreal. So I always tease my kids about this. The first time I got out of the country, I did it on my bicycle. This is whenever they, you know, ask for some, you know, like they want to go to Europe or something. I'm like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> Um, that was extraordinary. We took off from uh, New York with a AAA roadmap, an 800 number to call to Greenwich Village to the main office in case we ran into trouble, and no hotel reservations. It was called a phantom trip, and we had to figure out where we were going and where we were going to stay every night. And we took our pots and pans and sleeping bags with us. We were loaded, touring cyclists at the age of 15 and 16. It was spectacular. It was hot. It was clear. We slept without tents most of the time, and we made our way to Montreal by bicycle. It was outstanding. I start with that because, like many people, like many cyclists back then, I then didn't ride my bike for many, many years. I went to college at Michigan State. Uh, I didn't have a bike there. Uh, my old Schwinn Continental that I rode to Montreal stayed, you know, at my parents' place. And, you know, I rode maybe once a year around the neighborhood. I had a car, you know, why ride a bicycle? Uh, I was reveling in being in my 20s and independent. And it wasn't until many, many years later, when I turned 40, that my dad 
who's still in New York, and I was in North Carolina, he said, literally, what do you want for your big day? And I said, Dad, I want a bicycle. And that was, uh, well, we'll be candid and say that was 14 years ago in 2002, and I've been riding as much as possible since then. So for me, this has been a very adult uh, thing to do, uh, an avocation. Your question about the courthouse tours, I had been riding in a lot of charity events, as a lot of people do. I've been a member of Tar Heels and done the occasional Tar Heel club ride or pickup ride. I've done all the major charity rides in the area, the MS ride in Newburn many times, the Tour de Cure in its various incarnations, a lot of one-day special rides with the Misfits group. I developed a friendship with other touring cyclists through my work in Durham with the um, Bicycling and Pedestrian Commission. And we were all saying, hey, it'd be really neat, you know, to try this out. So we found Amtrak, and one of the nuggets I would like to give fellow Tar Wheel listeners is one can get on a train in Durham, 7 o'clock in the morning, 7.15, get on with your bike for free, passenger pays $10, go to Greensboro, get off at the Greensboro train station with your bicycle, ride back home. Uh, we do that through Saxapaha as the main stop. So it's 30 miles by bike to Saxapaha, and then there are any number of routes back to Durham. Uh, we tend to go through Carborough, stop at the Open Eye Cafe, we have some coffee. Depending on where people live, you know, they branch off to whatever neighborhood they live in in Chapel Hill or Durham. I live out near South Point, uh, or we make our way all the way back to downtown Durham. We've done this ride any number of times, and I recommend it to anybody to give that a try. The train also departs from Raleigh or Cary earlier in the morning, but on a weekend morning, it's you feel like you're on vacation, you have a cup of coffee on the train. It's a really wonderful experience. Yeah, I, I, I was looking at the Amtrak uh, schedule, and we're, we're lucky to have Amtrak uh, stations all around the local area, and uh, I guess their policy is uh, you can bring a bike uh, from just about any station, but the, the website said you had to plan ahead and you should had to reserve or something. And uh, is it a big deal? Uh, did, uh, they had said you have to show up like 45 minutes early or something like that. No, it's not. No, it's very simple, actually. Uh, there's, a, there's a button, actually, to click add a bike as you reserve online, and the bike is free. Um, if you're a AAA member, it's 10% off, but you're talking about 10% off of $12. Uh, so it's 10 or $12 to Greensboro, and the bike goes free. And no, uh, we get there 15, 20 minutes prior. It's dead quiet in the morning on a weekend. Uh, it's no big deal to roll the bike to the baggage cart, and they lift it up. It's a secure, very secure clamp. It's a special bike mount, um, and we've never had an incident. Um, to add on to that, once we established Greensboro, then my brain started getting busy thinking, well, what else could we do? We could go to Charlotte. And so the first courthouse tour that we came up with on our own, just four of us at the time, we said, what would, what would happen if we showed up in Charlotte with our bikes and we tried to ride home to Durham? So we scheduled a three-day tour, fully loaded touring. So um, the theme that I developed was let's just visit every courthouse in between Mecklenburg County and Durham County. And that's exactly what we did. But we rode Charlotte to Concord, which I think is Cabarrus County. And then we cut over toward uh, Albemarle, uh, Troy, 
you know, we built in some overnights. So we stayed near Morrow Mountain State Park. Um, we cut across the Uwaris, uh and the, uh, the PD River uh, to get toward uh, Troy. And then we went up to Sanford for an overnight. And then we went through Pittsburgh uh, just before the old courthouse uh, burned. Uh, we got some nice pictures of that and then uh, made it to our own Durham courthouse. So we linked, that was probably six or seven or possibly eight courthouses in three days. We had such a good time on that on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We said, maybe we should do that again. That was 2009. So 2010, we went again to Greensboro, got off. So we saw the Guilford County Courthouse rode to Winston-Salem. And it's surprisingly easy to ride by bike from, from Greensboro to Winston-Salem. We finished the day by going up to Hanging Rock State Park. I'm smiling because I weighed my gear at the Amtrak station just to see. Not the bike, but the gear weighed 43 pounds. That was six bags, two panniers on the back, two on the front. My handlebar bag and my trunk bag on top of the rack was six bags. 43 pounds plus the bike, which is your normal Trek steel touring bike, plus me, whose weight is very variable. We got to the base of Hanging Rock State Park, and one of us made it all the way to the top. Wow. Five of <laughs> us did not make it all the way to the top in one sweep. Uh, myself and several others just trudged and pushed and pushed and pushed. And I'll tell you that it's nearly as hard to push a bicycle up a mountain as it is to ride one up a mountain. That was not a happy experience. However, we got to the top of, rock, of Hanging Rock, and we had our tents, we had our food, we had a lovely, lovely stay. And the next morning, it was almost as difficult because we had to ride back down the mountain with all of our gear. So the campground was on the top of the mountain? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. It, it assumes you have a car, and you're not crazy enough to have a fully loaded bike. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a spectacular... Um, State Park, Hanging Rock, it's wonderful. It's up near Pilot Mountain, All right. it's, uh, uh, west of there. So the next morning, to continue our ride, we went screaming down Hanging Rock with 40 pounds of gear. And it was nerve-wracking, you know, because you don't want to get out of control. You don't want to spin out of control. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a little hair-raising. So uh, we continued our ride, and we wound up for the night in one of the best states we've ever had on these tours, Yanceyville, which is up Route 86, as a lot of tour wheels know, is if you take 86 north of Hillsboro, you go through Yanceyville on the way to Virginia. Yanceyville was a cycling delight. The courthouse uh, square area, um, there was a little bicycle shop there where somebody knew somebody, and uh, we got to tour this really interesting old bicycle store and had a nice dinner. And I have to say, that's a big reason why we do this. People say, well, why the courthouses? And part of the answer is that most courthouse towns are rather modest. There's just enough in terms of services for a touring cyclist. There are enough restaurants. There's a state park nearby. There's motels if you need it. Uh, we encounter rain almost inevitably. It's very hard for us to ride several days in a row without rain. Um, I'm a fair weather camper. So we didn't camp in Yanceyville. We went into Days Inn because it started to rain. Uh, it's nice to have that option. And people are not expecting you. You know, when you're part of a big tour or a big charity ride, 
you're one of hundreds and hundreds of people, but when you're four guys or six or seven guys and you're rolled into a town and you go to the local diner in the heart of Main Street, you can connect with people. You can, you know, they see how you're dressed and what you're doing, and then somebody will always ask the question, where are you guys going? It's wonderful to have those conversations. It's wonderful to have the camaraderie with your own riders. Uh, it's wonderful to explore this great state. There are a lot of great little pretty corners of this state, and we're forever stopping to take photos because we'll see an old dirt racetrack, or we'll see an interesting-looking farm, or we'll see animals that we don't normally see, or uh, you know, we'll take pictures of the county sign changing with the courthouses, which are almost always interesting. So that's yeah. that's what we're up to. Yeah, well, it's 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 interesting to me how you structured these trips. Now, what time of year do you usually go? So uh, most of these trips have been in May. The weather is beautiful. It's almost always perfect. A little bit of rain, but not monsoon weather. Um, cool mornings. Uh, warm afternoons, but not brutally hot. You know, you peak at maybe 80 degrees, which is very pleasant. And long daylight in May. You know, some of the longest days of the year are late yeah, May. Yeah. Uh, so you can be behind schedule, roll into town 5, 6 o'clock, still have time to get a campsite or have a dinner. And, you know, you're not hemmed in by a short uh, sunset, early sunset. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was your... Um your family uh, bike rides. Ken has written uh, several, written up several of his bike rides on, on a website. There's a what's the name of that? Uh, it's not my own word website. There is a, a, a just an absolutely brilliant guy out there, uh, Neil Gunton, G-U-N-T-O-N. The name of the website is CrazyGuyOnABike.com, and after 15 years, there must be several thousand bicycle travel journals on there. And mine can be found on there on there under cyclist C Y K K L I S T. But I'll tell you, if you want some armchair traveling and find out what it's like to tour Vietnam by bicycle, or the interior of China, or Cuba, or anywhere in Latin America, anywhere you don't think you'll ever get, which is my case, uh, there are some brilliant photo essays in there by just plain old cyclists, just folks like us. And they go off for two months, three months, and they write up these journals and fill them with photos. It's one of my favorite websites uh, for cycling. Okay, tell us about your Michigan rides with your family. I've done the Palm Ride in June. Uh, that's a great experience. We went from Lake Michigan to Lake Huron. Uh, it took six days, and I pulled them on trailer bikes. That's great stuff. The gear went on a luggage truck. There were 800 of us. So it was kind of like Cycle North Carolina, except family-friendly. And oh. lots of kids on trailer bikes, which they call tag-alongs up there. And there were grandparents riding tandems with their grandchildren. And, you know, uh, it was a great mix of ages. That's a great event. Uh, I'm, I'm looking to do it again. Uh, I remarried last year, and um, Dina has uh, twin five-year-old girls. So we now, I now have five kids. One's out of college, Aaron, and the others are 12, 8, 5, and 5. So the question is, how do I pull twin 5-year-old girls that aren't able to pedal on their own quite yet? Uh, some 5-year-olds are, but these are not. And we found a WeHoo trailer at REI this just a few months ago. It's a one sits behind the other, and it's a trailer bike. The hitch arm goes to my seat post. And so I'm now pulling a 40-pound trailer with twins sitting in it. Uh, so it's, I don't know, 90 pounds, 100 pounds. It tracks beautifully. 
I don't need this to be a product placement for WeHoo, but I have to say, you look at it, and it's not as unwieldy as it looks. It tracks really well. So we did our first test run just last week. We came back from St. Augustine, Florida. We put everybody on bikes on the Amelia Island Trail. It was seven miles each way, but with a bunch of kids, you know, you can turn yeah. that into an adventure. Yeah. So um, we started in the north end of Amelia Island. Some of it was um, a separated sidewalk near traffic. Some of it was a trail that we would recognize, like the American Tobacco Trail. And it wound up at the water at a bridge crossing. And the old bridge is now a fishing pier for pedestrians and fishers and bicyclists. And we had a picnic lunch, and, you know, it was a very nice way because Dina is not used to pulling my 8-year-old daughter. So she had her hooked up, and my 12-year-old rides on his own. You know, he's not used to doing 15 miles at a shot. So uh, it went pretty well. Yeah, I, I guess with kids, the, the problem is that, uh, you know, as they grow up so quickly that they grow out of their bikes, and, uh, and they, have, they all have different levels of proficiency and desire to participate. And, mm. uh, you know, it's like a, a herding cats, right? Yeah. When they have a group like that. Yeah, it can be. Um, uh, the girls love, so far we're good. The little ones really love the sensation of moving, uh, one of them pedals, the other one doesn't have to, the one in the back, so then we switch, so we even it out. But uh, it's just the experience of being, you know, they have little sippy bottles, and they're bigger than toddlers, but they're still small. So, you know, they can eat a granola bar, they can manage themselves, you know, so we don't have to stop that much. Uh, I have a backpack I can wear that has my stuff, and uh, my handlebar bag if I need it. So um, we're managing. It was a good thing. We're looking at maybe that Michigan ride with everybody. Yeah. Uh, well, I, we, we've just got a few more minutes. I was wondering if you could pass along some safety tips. Uh, sure. Um, uh, I can teach a long course, but really uh, the long course comes down to two pieces of equipment that everybody should have for visibility and for their safety uh, besides the helmet. Uh, one is a really bright blinky light. It's amazing how many riders don't use that. I, uh, I have a Planet Bike Super Flash that might be $30, and I replace the batteries a few times a year that in flash mode can be seen you know, quite a ways back. It doesn't have to be that. Anything that blinks. I find a solid light doesn't really get drivers' attention. So I leave it in blink mode, even on um, sunny days, because you ride in and out of shadow, and uh, you just want to be seen as far back in advance as possible. The other one... This, to me, I, I cannot ride without a rear-view mirror. There are several ways to do it. I've seen people put them on their handlebars. Uh, I wear mine on my sunglasses. It's a, a $17 item from REI. I own three of them because I will not ride without one. I have them stashed everywhere, like jelly beans. Uh, so it pivots. It's a metal frame. It's, it's, it's fairly sturdy. Uh, it's, it gives a really good image. Um, and... So here's the punchline. I can see what's going on behind me. So half the time, and if you think about all your, everybody out there, if you think about riding on the road, really half the time or more, there's nobody back there. But you don't know that because you're, we're always anxious and we're riding nervously and we're checking back and throwing off our weight and our balance. We keep pivoting and looking over our shoulder, looking over our shoulder. Is it clear? Is it clear? Is it clear? If you have a mirror, I never do that anymore. 
I've been riding with a mirror for 10 years. I never look behind me unless I'm making a left turn. I want to do a double check. You know, I'll do that. But I'm riding along, enjoying most of my ride because I know there's nobody back there. So that's one reason for the mirror. Here's the rest of it. If you have a blinking light, the cars are going to see you a quarter to a half a mile if you're on a straight road. I know they see me because I can see their posture in the mirror. I can see people start to come around to pass me or slow down or I decide I have to take the lane because they're about to do something dumb and I know that there's oncoming traffic sometimes. I have control of that lane because I can see behind me and because I know they see me. So the goal is the driver sees you early. You see the driver early. Everybody makes a better decision. I want the driver to not be surprised by having me there. If I have to make the driver slow down, and again, I'm a New Yorker, I'm assertive. But if I need to control the lane, I will slide over and control that lane. I did it this morning on my way to work. Somebody wanted to squeeze by. It's not a good moment. I know I'm visible. I know he or she sees me. I took the lane and put up my hand. Thank you. You know, just give me a second. Um, And then when it's safe, I let the car go by. But that's my lane until I say otherwise. I find riding my bicycle like a car, properly equipped with a light and a mirror, puts me out of harm's way almost all the time. Uh, There are always things that are unforeseen. There's, you know, the driver who insists on being stupid. I mean, we all know this. There's, you know, there's there's debris on the road. There's, you know, some sudden thing that comes up. In a, a training course or in the training I've gotten, I've learned some maneuvers that will help me get out of somebody turning right in front of me or a pothole I didn't expect. There were, you know, special circumstances. But for most normal riding, the mirror and the blinky light will pretty much take care of it. I will add that a few years ago, I did add a permanent headlight. Um, the price of them have come way down. They used to be four or $500 for 60 to $100 now. You can get a very good, visible, sort of permanent headlight that clamps on your, uh, your front bar. Um, I have a rechargeable battery. It goes on the stem. I recharge it every few days when I need to, and I leave it on all the time when I'm riding. Uh, I want oncoming traffic to see me. That helped out this morning. I want cars coming from a side road to see me. I've had that come in very handy. And on the trail, I want runners and other cyclists to be able to see me when conditions are shady or dark. Yeah. Yeah, this is a big subject, and I don't expect us to go on for long. But uh, one of the things in in group rides, uh, I I do most of my ride commuting, but in group rides, uh, we always seem to form pace lines and uh, I was mm. I had heard of a, a wreck uh, near Jordan Lake uh, where uh, a pace line somebody in front crashed and the others and I was researching mm. it I couldn't really find that recently but I did find one from like June 2013 in Wilmington there was a, a really bad there was a, a double pace line mm. and like four people were uh, pretty seriously injured mm. one person uh, died as a result of that mm. crash it was a leader in the bike club I'm not uh, fast enough <laughs> most of the time to do a lot of pace line riding. I do have a, I, I do have uh, a bike I call my sports car, which is a club bike, versus my station wagon, which is the touring bike. I've done a fair amount of pace line riding. I don't do it a lot anymore. 
uh, I'm concentrating on other types of cycling, but um, there are risks. There are, you know, there are risks riding on your own near Jordan Lake. Uh, I've heard it argued both ways. You're more visible with a group, you know, but you can catch a wheel, and that's why we wear helmets. You know, you don't even need uh, to hit a car to need a helmet uh, when, you're, when you go down. Um, I don't have a lot to say about pace line riding. Uh, people, most people know what they're doing. Uh, I try to, when I do that, I try to judge the experience of the people I'm with. Most people know what they're doing. I have to admit, as great as I am in traffic and in other kinds of cycling, I'm not a particularly good pace line rider. I have a hard time maintaining consistency. When I'm leading, when it's my turn to pull, I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time. I tend to go too quickly because I don't want to let people down. Uh, I have trouble on hills because I weigh a little more. Uh, so then that you know slows the group down. Uh, I tend to go mid-pack and then cycle back to the back. Not to be selfish about it, but just because I'm going to impede progress. You know, if I try to pull too much, and I'm going to wear myself out. Uh, I think people need to be realistic about their abilities. Uh, I think that people probably get too close and overlap wheels occasionally. Uh, the thing I'm worried about with pace lines is what a lot of people are is uh, pace lines and traffic, right? There's biker on biker violence, if you will, but then there's the whole thing about antagonizing the drivers around us, and you know I would I would caution people uh, against going more than two wide. Uh, legislation currently is not in place to prevent that. Uh, just because you can go three wide doesn't mean you should go three wide. Uh, people make a valid argument sometimes that going, let's say, two wide and four deep is better than eight riders all in a row single file. It makes it easier for a car to get around. I think it's all terribly situational. I think that cyclists sometimes do themselves a disservice by being too aggressive about that. It's, it's something to be mindful of, that when you're out on a bike in a group or not, you're representing the rest of us. And... We're all drivers most of the time. Imagine coming up on yourself in a group or alone on a, in a car. I mean, is your behavior helping the driver, you know, be amenable to accommodating cyclists or are you just, you know, ticking people off and you have one more angry driver out there who has no patience for cyclist rights or anything we want to accomplish? I would ask people to be mindful about that. I try to be assertive for my safety and other people's safety but not aggressive or obnoxious. There are a lot, there's a lot of behavior out there that I would describe as obnoxious, meaning intentionally meant to get in somebody's face or provoke a situation. I think that's unsafe, and I think it doesn't help the rest of us. Absolutely. Well, Ken, thanks for being with us today. For our listeners, if you have comments, questions, or suggestions, you can email us at info at or from the website tarwheels.org you can find our ride calendar and you can join our club happy trails